This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Good morning, agents. Welcome to The Briefing Room here on Film Geek Radio. This is our podcast devoted exclusively to the Showtime series, Homeland. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined by my executive co-director, Charlie Nash. Hey, Andrew. How are you doing, Charlie? I'm terrified. Some people broke into my home, forced me to strip, and then put made me put on some other clothes and put a bag over my head, and uh, I don't really know where I am right now. They just kind of gave me a laptop, and I'm allowed to Skype with you for like an hour, but then I have to go talk to somebody really sinister. Oh, you didn't pay them to do that? No. Oh. Should I have? I didn't know that that was like a fetish that some people like. (laughs) Just making sure. All right. Today we're going to be discussing episode five of season three of Homeland. The episode is titled The Yoga Play. It was written by Patrick Harbinson, and it was directed by our old friend Clark Johnson, who previously directed episode three of this season, the episode all about Brody. This is not a spoiler-free podcast, so if you haven't seen this episode of the show, you should go away, catch up on Homeland, and then come back. As always, you can email us at briefingroom at filmgeekradio.com. We also have a brand new voicemail line that you can use to call and leave us feedback. We'd love to get your thoughts on Homeland and on the podcast. Just call 336-793-2509 and let us know what you think, and we might play what you have to say on the air next time. All right, let's talk Homeland. Charlie, why don't you remind our listeners what happened in The Yoga Play? This is the official synopsis from Showtime.com. Carrie puts her mission on the line to do a risky favor. Saul is forced to rub elbows with his adversary, Senator Lockhart, on a hunting trip. Still on the run, Dana makes a shocking discovery. Here's a clip. Yeah? Hey, Max, it's Carrie. Carrie? Uh... In 10 seconds, I'm going to call you back and set up the yoga play. Yoga? Virgil's yoga play using Lisa, remember? So when I call, act a little less clueless than you are now, okay? Sure, I'm not acting clueless. I was up all night on a job. to 10, so better get moving, okay? Okay. All right, Charlie, to start off, what were your general thoughts on the yoga play? Did you like this episode? I thought this episode was okay. I think that it has a terrifically intense ending. I think the final 10 minutes or so were really, really gripping. But I have to be honest, I was pretty bored for at least half an hour to 40 minutes of this episode because a majority of it focuses on how to track down Dana Brody. 
And I'm not a Dana hater, as I've said before, but I feel like Dana's plotline is really interrupting the main focus of this season right now, which is everything that's going on with Saul and Carrie. And I don't really know what the show is trying to say in paralleling this uh, Dana story with Carrie and Saul's because it just doesn't seem to be very relevant right now. And while I think that Morgan Saylor, who plays Dana, always gives a terrific performance, it's, it's hard for me to care about her plotline. It just seems very melodramatic. The whole twist about, oh, well, it was a suicide pact and it was Leo's idea to play with the gun. We kind of saw that coming. We got that reveal last week and now Dana knows about it, but we don't really know what she's feeling or thinking apart from the fact that she's angry that he lied. And as much as I liked the last 10 minutes of this episode, I was hoping that they would go further into Carrie meeting this sinister possible terrorist. I didn't think it would end on a cliffhanger. I guess I'm just a little spoiled from how fast-paced season two was now that I'm starting to get at that point where I'm starting to get a little impatient and I'm starting to wish that the writers would push us forward a little bit more. I did enjoy this episode overall. I'd recommend that people watch it. I don't think it's a bad episode of television, but it's still revealing stuff a little too slowly. And while I didn't mind that for the first few episodes, I'm starting to feel it's a little tedious at this point. I think I liked this episode a little bit more than you. I liked most of it overall. I'm totally with you, though, when it comes to the Dana subplot. I am not on board with Dana anymore. I'm not a Dana hater, but I'm starting to understand where a lot of that hatred is coming from. And I'll talk about that a little more in a little bit. Overall, though, I did like this episode. I like everything with Carrie. I love what's going on with Saul. I think that subplot is absolutely fantastic. This episode really just should have been titled Saul Barrison and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. (laughs) Because he has a really bad day in this episode, and I loved every minute of it. I thought there were some really great twists. The main issue is that it feels like a transitional episode because everything with Dana is so important that it's now infringing on Carrie's story. It feels like it's holding that story back. And so it, it this very much does feel like an episode where at the end of the day, not a whole lot happened, even though I was caught up in it and there were some very well done and suspenseful sequences. Ultimately, it, it just kind of felt like the show was spinning its wheels for an episode while it gears up for some big stuff involving Majid Javadi. To start talking specifics. Let's just get the negative out of the way. What was it about the Dana subplot this week that didn't work for you? I mean, I don't even think it's that unrealistic. I think if teenagers run away, they always have that sort of conversation where they're like, screw it, we'll flip burgers for a few months. We can do anything we want. We have each other. Like, I don't think that's phoned in necessarily, but I feel like we've seen this plot line before in other shows that aren't Homeland, and it just feels so out of place. It just feels like something that is, like, supposed to be made for tweens and, you know, older teenagers. Like, and I don't think what they do with that plot line is necessarily horrible, but it's just kind of boring. Like, I didn't really care. I mean, I do care about Dana overall, but even after she finds out that he's possibly the reason that his brother is dead, we don't really know much of what's going on inside her head. We just get her being very angry and yelling at him and then going home. 
And even with that subplot, not a lot happens. She just realizes something that we discovered last episode, and then she's really upset again, and she's kind of in the same spot that she was by the end of episode one. I just don't know what they're trying to say with her character. I understand why Carrie would want to help. At the same time, like, I just kind of got frustrated and threw my arms up at the air where I was like, oh, really? Like, Carrie has to get involved with Dana now? Like, it's not even that the Dana stuff is badly executed or terribly unrealistic. It's just, why is this necessary to the plot of this show? What is it trying to say? What parallel does this make with what's going on with the rest of the show? I just don't, I, I just don't know. I like how it ultimately resolves itself and how it ultimately comes to a conclusion where Dana realizes that she's just replaced one liar in her life with another. And she feels betrayed because Leo said that he would never lie to her, and he did. And how that would be a really big deal to her because she's just fed up with all the lies. I like how she ultimately reaches that conclusion, and I think she gives a great performance when she goes back to the house and is in her room and starts crying. She does the Claire Danes cry face. <laughs> I don't know if, if Morgan Saylor asked Claire Danes for advice, but she does the little chin tremble and everything. I was like, whoa. All right, Morgan Saylor, you nailed it. Yeah. So I like how it ultimately ended with that realization. I think that's a big realization for her character. The problem is, like you said, Charlie, it just feels kind of dull and it feels like it took too long to get there. I'm starting to understand why people don't like Dana because this isn't just an episode where it's cutting back to Dana and that's taking people away from what's happening with Carrie. This is an episode where it's like the writers almost seem to give the Dana haters the middle finger and have her storyline hijack Carrie's storyline. So now Carrie has to stop what she's doing and everything with Majid Javadi and go deal with this Dana stuff. And that was a little bit frustrating. Yeah. Agent Hall. Jesus, you got nerve. I'm not talking to this you. This isn't about me. Dana Brody is missing. What are you doing on the street, Matheson? Why aren't you in the nut house where you belong? Do you have to be such a... Please. Dana's in real trouble. Her mother's going out of her mind. That's not my problem. How is that not your problem? What if her father's still in the country? What if she's on her way to meet him? She isn't. She's also not in any trouble. How do you know? Because... My guys have been listening in on Dana and her boyfriend for weeks. This? It's two teenagers run away on a f fest. Romeo and Juliet. You know how Romeo and Juliet ends, don't you? Not well. Get over yourself, Madison. They'll be home. As soon as the money runs out. Did you ever run background on the boyfriend? If you did, you know he's bad news. But even if you don't give a about Dana, she is the one person Brody will reach out to if he ever reaches out to anybody. So please. Tell me you know where she is. Tell me she's safe, and then I'll walk away. Look, we're going to bolo out to field officers, law enforcement across the Northeast. We're going to find her. You better. Because if anything happens to that girl, it's on you, and I will make damn sure the whole world knows you lost her. I understand that Carrie cares about Brody and cares about Dana, but this operation has been months in the making. She's gone through so much pain to get here. I'm with Saul. I don't understand how she would risk all of that for Dana. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I wrote down the line. I mean, uh, it's Saul's like talking to her on the phone and he goes, I mean, Brody's daughter for fuck's sake. And I was like, you know what, Saul? Everyone's thinking that right now. <laughs> you are the audience surrogate. We are all thinking that right now. Well, 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 here's the thing. Here's the thing. 
I can see with the writers why it served a purpose because she goes to the FBI agent and then he puts it out on the news and that's how Dana realizes that Leo's been lying to her. So there's a link there. I'm just sitting here thinking, okay, did you really need that link? Couldn't you just have Dana decide to answer her phone once? Yeah. You know, or something. Have have her just randomly decide to answer the phone and have her mom say, oh, by the way, Leo may have killed his brother. And have her come to that realization that Leo is lying to her that way. Just, just There's so many ways they could have written it that would have sped it along and wouldn't have gotten Carrie involved that I think would have made it work better. Now, the question is, Charlie, the last line of the episode is where... Javadi confronts Carrie. They bring her in, and he makes that joke about, "Oh, you look really good. You must have been. It must be all the yoga." And so we're not clear: does he actually believe that she was going to yoga, or does has he seen through the play? So if it turns out that he actually has seen through the play, and everything with Dana really does end up mattering <laughs> in that way, fine, I'm willing to go with it. But if it turns out that no, he didn't see through the play, and it just was kind of a, a, a wasted little subplot. I mean, it was, just, I, I mean, I liked the scene, and I liked her trying to shake all the surveillance. I thought that was well done. But ultimately, I'm just worried it may feel kind of pointless. Yeah, well, that's, that's my complaint about it, is what's the point? Why is this such a big deal? And... Yeah, I, I agree with you. I thought that he was kind of taunting her and going like, oh, it must be all that yoga, and I'm a philanthropist. Like, it, it felt like he was kind of mocking her in that way. But so do you think he knows that it was a play? Yeah, I think so. Why would two men come into Carrie's home late at night, cut her clothes off, and then use whatever metal detector devices they have all over her? I'm pretty sure that he saw through Carrie's lie. Well, I'm not sure because you could argue that he's just doing that as a precaution, just to make sure she's not being followed, just to make sure that she's not going to bring a wire. You know, it, it could be that he really doesn't know that the yoga thing was a deception and he's just taking control of the situation and, and just making sure that she isn't being followed. Well, sure, but at the same time, like, the way that the episode, the, that scene started where they're, like, not one sound, and she's terrified, and she's like, please, this wasn't part of the plan, and they don't say anything to be like, oh, we know, this is just a precaution. Like, they seemed like they were menacing, and they were, like, almost angry or irritated with her, as if they saw through all of her bullshit. Because that's the tone they want to strike, to let her know, hey, we're in control if you have a wire, we're going to find out. You should be worried, et cetera, et cetera. I, I mean, this guy is supposedly now the number one most wanted terrorist in the world now that Abu Nazir is gone. So I can understand why he would want to make absolutely sure that the interview or the interrogation, however you want to call it, that it's going to go well and that there aren't going to be any unforeseen consequences. So I could totally buy that he would use this type of force to take control of the situation and make sure that she has to play by his rules. I can definitely see that. I'm not eliminating that as a possibility. Maybe it's just because we all saw it through Carrie's perspective that it made me feel like, since we don't really know what's going on inside of his head, that it seemed like uh, he was being incredibly antagonistic by mocking her 
with uh, a sarcastic joke about yoga. And But at the same time, as I was watching this episode before that scene happened, I was like, oh, yoga's actually a really good cover-up. Like, Carrie actually should start doing yoga if she's, like, you know, <laughs> going to be off her meds and drink a lot. And, like, no, that would actually, that's actually a really smart cover-up. Like, I, I give the writers props for that. Oh, you, you brought up her meds. Uh, yeah. This episode reveals that Carrie's not taking her meds. And I'm sitting here thinking, why are you not taking your meds? Exactly what I was thinking, too. I was kind of like, okay, why? I thought this was all part of your plan. I can understand if you're trying to stay in character with uh, the terrorists and if you, you're paranoid that if you go on your meds, you'll start acting a certain way. Uh, that will, like, reveal that you're actually a double agent or something, maybe. But at the same time, it focused so intensely on her deciding whether or not to take the meds and then throwing them all in the toilet. And I was just kind of like, okay, I thought this was an act. I didn't think that this was you actually being serious about not wanting to take them. Well, we went through four episodes of her going through hell as mm -hmm. a result of not taking her meds. And yeah, she intentionally put herself in that position, but it was still hell that she had to go through. And so I'm just wondering, why would you risk that happening again for real? Exactly. I was thinking the same exact thing. And it was a very confusing scene for me. The only thing I can think is that maybe the writers realize there's no logical reason for Carrie to go help Dana. <laughs> so maybe they're like, oh, well, if she was on her meds, she probably wouldn't do this. So let's have her be off her meds so she'll be a little bit more worried about things she probably shouldn't worry about. Yeah, but uh, it was still kind of frustrating. Yeah. And I guess that by the time you get to the end of this episode, sure, it has a really intense ending, but I knew we were going to get to this point last week. I wish they could have just moved the plot line a little more forward. Like, we knew this was going to happen. We knew Carrie was going to have a meeting with someone. And based on how fast-paced season two was... You know, obviously, based on how slow season three has been, I know that they're not going at the same pace as season two, but I thought that this was, like, just build up, and then they were really going to go full throttle here. And mm -hmm. here, and, and I ended up kind of being frustrated by the time the episode was over, because for the first two-thirds of it, I was just really bored. And then the last third, I was really into it, and then it just ended, and I was like, oh, seriously? See, I, I wasn't quite as bored as you were during the first two-thirds. I was only really bored during the Dana stuff. Everything with Carrie and the yoga play, I was really into. I liked how she ends up calling Max, who uh, shows up for the first time this season, uh, played by Mari Sterling, and he has to drag himself out of bed and try to help her out. And then Virgil's back. I liked how they have to quickly set up this play where there's this other woman who's pretending to be her, and she shows up like in the same outfit, ready to go. Mm -hmm. And I like how they, they've done this before and they know exactly what they need to wear to pull it off. So I liked all that stuff and I, and I like the fact that Quinn is now watching her as well and he's got her back because it's obvious he's in love with her. I'm totally on board with most of that stuff. I just think the major problem is at the end of the episode, I'm not quite sure if it's going to have any lasting impact on the rest of the season. Exactly. I totally bought the yoga play stuff. I thought it was very credible, but... At the same time, it's just so slow-paced. And I know Carrie's... Like, I kind of had a feeling Carrie was going to get back in time uh, by the time that guy walked in during the yoga class. And mm -hmm. I guess just from the way that they set it up last week with the cliffhanger and they said, okay, I've got the meeting ready, I just thought that it was going to go straight into that. And it's not a problem if they have to, like make it more realistic by setting up these cover-up stories and whatnot. But I just felt like this whole episode was, 
either cover-up stories or Dana's plotline, and then five to ten minutes of actual intense, this-isn't-what-we-planned thriller material. And I was kind of frustrated by the time the episode was over because it, it finally gripped me in its final, like, third. And then I just got kind of frustrated because I'm like, well, we don't know that much more than we did last week. Last week, mm-hmm. we knew this meeting was going to happen. This week, the meeting didn't even happen. It's just, she's there. Like, I, I would have liked a little more development because I thought that we would get more information as to what's really going on here, who these people are, how they're connected to Brody. Um, we don't get any more Brody this week either, which is both frustrating and kind of refre- uh, like like I'm not dying to see more Brody, but at the same time, it's just like, okay, we'll have one episode about him and then we'll come back to him like three episodes later and it kind of makes me think, what are the writers doing with him? Right, well, I knew that the episode was directed by Clark Johnson and I thought that he that Brody was going to pop up again as a result because I was like, oh, well, Clark Johnson did episode three, which was when we saw Brody, so he probably just filmed portions of this one while they were doing that one and, Brody, and Brody's gonna show up again right and then Brody didn't show up and I was like oh okay yeah it's not it, it's not like it's not like I'm complaining I don't need more scenes of Brody doing heroin but like right it, it, at the same time it's just kind of I I just expected you know at this point in the second season this is the fifth episode of season three by the fifth episode of season two we've already been to Q&A, which is like one of the best episodes of the show of all time. I don't think that's quite fair because season two moves so fast. It moves so much faster than most television does, including Homeland. If you Yeah, but like one. even by the first five episodes of season one, we had more to get emotionally invested in than we, what we have now. And I feel like I was the less cynical one earlier on in this podcast where I felt like episodes one through three, I was, I was okay. I was willing to be patient. I was okay with the show taking its time. But now I'm starting to get a little frustrated. I think I'm, we're going to have to wait one more episode I think, to really judge whether or not structurally these have been good decisions. I think it's really interesting that the first third of the season, it wasn't what we thought it was. Yeah. It turned out to just be a ruse. I think that's a really interesting way and a very risky move on the writer's part. And now that we know it's a ruse and the season seems really ready to just kick things off and start running, I think that's why... This episode may have felt a little bit disappointing because last episode, it seemed like we left off on a really intriguing moment where we're like, oh man, Saul and Carrie are in control. They know what they're going to do. Let's get this this stuff moving. And then in this episode, there were parts of it where it felt like it was moving, but then other parts like everything with Dana where it just felt like it was kind of spinning its wheels. Yeah. One other thing I want to ask you, Charlie, is were you concerned at all for Quinn? Because at the end of this episode, I had this sudden fear that Quinn was suddenly going to die. <laughs> really? No. I, I guess I guess maybe it's because the stakes of this episode were so low that I didn't really get that invested. I, I loved everything with Quinn in this episode. I think Quinn, whenever Quinn was on screen, I was into it. Even the small scenes like him pulling up in front of uh, the guy and being like, oh, I'm sorry, I'll move my car in just a second. Hey, do you know where this address is? Do you know what town this is in? Like, even that stuff I thought was wonderful. 
Well, Quinn's awesome. I like how he just shows up in her parking garage and is like, oh, you've got two surveillance teams on you, just so you know. Yeah, yeah. I've checked it out and I've snuck in here and no one noticed me because I'm a total badass. <laughs> I, I did love the scene where Claire Danes bumped into him and he's she's like, Jesus Christ, Quinn, shouldn't you be like hiding in a tree or something? And I just got this image of Quinn hiding in a tree and it was a, it's a very <laughs> funny image. At least to me. <laughs> well, see, I, I actually, like I said, the most of the Carrie stuff worked f- for me within the episode itself, even though I'm not quite sure what impact it's going to have on the rest of the season. And I was kind of on the edge of my seat thinking, oh, man, is Carrie going to end up ruining this whole operation by going after Dana? And then at the end, when Quinn is in the car, you know, this isn't the first time that Carrie has been kidnapped by terrorists and taken to an undisclosed location and gone off the grid. That happened at, at the second half of season two. Yeah. But I was just worried, like, oh, no, they have figured it out. They're going to kidnap her. They know Quinn is watching and they're going to kill Quinn. Like, I just had this fear that someone was just going to walk up to the car and shoot Quinn in the head. And that's how the episode was going to end. And then that didn't happen, and I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I wish I was that concerned, though. I, I don't know why. Maybe it was because the first two-thirds of this episode for me were just spinning its wheels that it got to a point where I needed to that scene to go on for a few minutes in order to get invested in it. I bought into it enough where I was like, oh, man, maybe Carrie really did blow the op, and everything is screwed up now, and they realize that she's being watched, and they're going to take out the people watching her. Yeah. I was concerned. I don't want to see anything bad happen to Quinn. Yeah. I guess it's also a little on the nose for what's going on with Carrie right now, because Quinn literally has a line that says, Saul, she's on her own. And Saul goes, she's always on her own. And and I was kind of like, yeah, we know that. You don't have to say that out loud. <laughs> it's not bad dialogue, per se, but it's very, very uh, blunt. And I didn't it, mind that. I almost would have preferred like a darkly comic moment for Saul to just not give a shit and just be like, oh, she's always on her own. Jesus. <laughs> Chill out. (laughs) Go smoke a blunt, Quinn. (laughs) She's only been kidnapped, and she's only going to meet, you know, the guy that we've been after for months and months. It's not a big deal. Yeah. (laughs) Chill out, man. (laughs) Like, let's go get a beer. Speaking of which, uh, Majid Javadi is played by Sean Tobe, who I'm sure a lot of viewers recognize from Iron Man, the first film. Oh, who was he in Iron Man? Because I, I recognized him, but I didn't put a f- name on his face. He's the guy in the first act that helps Tony build the suit Oh, to, to escape the cave. It's actually been a few years since I've seen Iron Man, so I didn't make that connection until you just said that. But I yeah. knew I recognized him from somewhere. In Iron Man, he was helping Tony Stark fight the terrorists. Now he is a terrorist. <gasps> what a twist. Yep. <laughs> or is he? My, my patience is drawing just a little thin. I haven't given up on this show yet. I'd still recommend this episode to people who are watching this season. Season three is definitely not gripping me as much as the first two seasons of the show have. And while it, I appreciate that it's doing something different, the different uh, approaches that they're taking to these characters are only partially successful, in my opinion. I did like the scene where Jessica confronted Carrie, as brief as it was. I didn't expect that. I thought the performances were really good. I'm kind of back and forth on that scene, because while I can understand, yeah, Jessica's desperate, so that's why she's going to turn to Carrie, I'm also thinking, wait, Brody cheated on you with her at the same time from jessica's perspective she doesn't know if carrie knew about brody from jessica's perspective brody did kill all those people in langley in the second season so maybe she was thinking that carrie wasn't behind it 
you know, with him or that Carrie was involved with him. I mean, she points out that in season one, Carrie tried to warn them and tried to warn Dana that Brody was a terrorist. So that's her justification for trusting Carrie. But I was just thinking, wait a minute, Carrie messed up your life in so many other ways. I'm just, I'm not quite sure that that bad blood is disappeared. What I assumed, even though it's not outright stated, what I assumed is that since Carrie's all over the news about what happened in Langley, that Jessica feels that Brody might have hurt her too, and Carrie assumed that he wasn't a terrorist, and then went and did this behind her back, and now she's possibly hurt too. They don't say that, but that's what Mm -hmm. I took away from that. I mean, I bought that confrontation more than I bought a lot of the subplot with Dana and Leo, and... Mm -hmm. I I just dislike Leo so much now because, like, you know, Dana has that scene where she's like, you knew that I was, like, attempting suicide because everyone was lying around me and I don't know who to trust. And then you're in a psychiatric ward and you can't even be honest about what happened with your brother. Like, that's something I would get frustrated with, too. Like, if your brother Mm -hmm. killed himself and it was your idea and you felt so much guilt about it, you wouldn't lie about that. Or at least Mm -hmm. if you do lie, you're an asshole. And no wonder she's pissed off at you. It just makes me dislike Leo to the point where when he's coming back next episode and he's going to try and win Dana back, I'm just going to be like, no, get away from her. Yeah, I definitely think that the Leo stuff is definitely the worst part of the episode. Let's talk about my favorite part of the episode, which is Saul. Poor Saul having an awful day where everything goes wrong. First, Carrie almost screws up the op, then he realizes he could be out of a job, then he finds out his wife's probably cheating on him. It's just not a very good day. I mean, I do feel bad for Mira, though. She's put up with a lot these past few episodes. Uh, Okay, no, 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 no. I am not on her side anymore, okay? She went away to Mumbai, okay? She left. She could have had this little fling while she was gone, but she made the decision to come back. That is true. That is true. She chose to come back and support her husband after the Langley bombing. That's what she needs to be doing, okay? No excuses. She had her chance to go have a new life with someone else. I'm not on her side if it does turn out that she's having an affair. And of course, surely she's having an affair. I don't understand how they could explain that away as to how she has this other guy over for wine and dinner when she thinks Saul is at, away at this retreat. And how insulting is that, too? You know, I mean, they're having an affair in his own house. Oh, I mean, that's true. And I didn't really think about that. I kind of overlooked that. At the same time, Saul's not being entirely honest with her about what's going on. I mean... Well, he's not allowed to. It's all classified. It's all classified, and yet at the same time, it's all complicated. I'm not saying that I'm, like, 100% Team Mira here. I'm not 100% Team Saul either, but, like... Oh, I am 100% Team Saul. I, I definitely think that we get a more sympathetic portrayal of his character than Mira's, but at the same time, yeah, you do have a point. You know what? You're right. I mean, she did know that she was getting herself back into. It's, it, it, it is a little frustrating now that I think about it. I love this reveal, though, that Senator Andrew Lockhart, Tracy Letts, is now going to be the new head of the CIA because that is a big deal. That's a big change. It means that Tracy Letts could be a recurring cast member now moving into the second half of season three and potentially season four. Mm -hmm. And it also means that, as, as he describes it to Saul, 
they're going to completely change how they do business and they're going to start relying on the military and drone strikes and they might possibly go to war with Iran. And that to me is terrifying. Maybe because it hits so close to real life events. Yeah. I'm just like, oh man, this is not good. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I totally love the scene too where uh, Saul gave that drunken speech and it wasn't like a total train wreck, but it was like wobbling back and forth between very authentic. Yeah, I love how at the very end he makes it seem like it's all like a nice toast and he's being nice, but really there's just so much implied like hey you don't know what you're doing <laughs> yeah you're right for this job it was so nice and but now i'm just worried oh man if if saul loses his job or if, if something happens where now saul is going to be forced to go behind the head of the cia's back or give in and do stuff that he knows is wrong and could have terrible consequences that's just going to be so awful like like this subplot to me now is the most terrifying thing on the show because it's like oh man we could go to war with iran it's also the most realistic yeah. Yeah, Senator Lockhart didn't feel like a caricature. He was definitely a frustrating character to uh, be around whenever he was in a scene, but he was never a cartoon. He was never a, st a cardboard stereotype. And he even does thank Saul and his toast, and he doesn't brush it off like he does give Saul a nice toast. And at the same time, Saul doesn't, like make a total fool of himself and like knock over a whole table of drinks and be like, oh, you don't appreciate anything I do and I quit. And, you know, like, I, you know, I like that scene a lot for the complexity and the subtlety with what each character was saying to each other. And um, Saul was definitely the person I felt most sympathy for this episode. Well, I, I just love how they're tying it back to real world events, okay? Because mm -hmm. the Langley bombing is kind of like 9-11, this terrible event that happened. After 9-11, we went to war with Iraq. Here in Homeland, we might go to war with Iran. Also, if you read the news, you know that the Obama administration's really, really big on drone strikes. Mm -hmm. And they have this whole war machine in place that kills hundreds of people overseas every year with drones. And it seems to be a big deal. So when Senator Lockhart tells Saul, hey, we're moving to a more militaristic approach to intelligence. I was just like, oh, man, that's right out of the headlines there. You know, yeah. we see we, we see that today. So I'm totally on board with this subplot. I can't wait to see how it develops. I'm hoping they don't write Saul off the show. That would really frustrate me. But I'm hoping they just use this to really build up the tension for Saul and up the stakes. Not only for him, but for the country, potentially. Like, what is what is going to happen to the country? Are we going to go to war with Iran or not? Yeah, it definitely parallels with what's going on with Syria right now, where mm -hmm. we had to make difficult decisions about that. And uh, yeah, I agree with you. The stuff with Saul was probably the strongest stuff of the episode. Yeah, I, I like how, especially with Saul, you get to see that the title of this episode really does make sense. The episode's called The Yoga Play. The yoga play is about Carrie being replaced by someone else as part of um, this maneuver. And this whole episode is about people being replaced in one way or another. You've got Dana, who feels like now one liar in her life, Brody, has been replaced by another liar, Leo. You've got Saul being replaced by Senator Lockhart. You've got Saul also being replaced by this new man in Mira's life. So I did like how the episode really hit on that theme and that idea of people being replaced. 
Yeah, and I didn't really think about that. And that's a good point to bring up. That is an, a very uh, potent theme throughout this episode that I wasn't really thinking about. I guess I was just very underwhelmed. And I, I don't think it's a bad episode of television by any means. But by going this slow, I feel like they're kind of uh, the, ten the tension's kind of sizzling out. I would like an episode where they just ditch Dana for like two or three episodes. I'm not saying get rid of her altogether, but like I just like to see what's going on with Carrie and Javadi or Carrie and Saul or Quinn and Saul. I, I don't know why the writers feel compelled to have Dana on screen in every episode this season, apart from the third uh, one this season, but they're okay with leaving Brody out for an extended period of time. We've only gotten one episode with him. I wish that they had the courage to just kind of focus on one thing right now because this season just feels a bit messy and it's not bad by any means, but it's starting to feel too drawn out. Mm -hmm. I guess I just had my expectations too high after last week's twist because it seemed like it was going to go in a much different direction and it really just felt like a continuation of last week's developments only with even more Dana and that kind of frustrated me. Well, here's my prediction, Charlie. In season one... Episode 7 was The weekend, where it was mainly, not entirely, but mainly just Carrie and Brody at the lake talking. Mm -hmm. Episode 5 of Season 2 was Q&A, where it was just the interrogation. And now we're coming up on Episode 6 of Season 3, which was directed by Leslie Linka Gladder, who also directed Q&A. I'm wondering if maybe next week it will be another one of those episodes that they like to do around the middle of each season where it's mainly just two people talking. Maybe it will just be the interview between Carrie and Chavati. I would like that a lot. I would absolutely love that. I feel like they kind of already did that this season, though, with and, and unfortunately wasn't nearly as good of an episode as Q&A and The Weeknd. I feel like episode three this season was just kind of like, look, it's one of those episodes where we're just focusing on Carrie and Brody. And uh, it was a good episode. I liked it. But I feel like they've already kind of done that this season. And yeah, if they can do it again and to even better effect, that would be great. I'm just a little concerned, that's all. I don't think that the show's gonna just do nothing for the entire season, but I just want something to happen that's either very dramatically compelling in terms of where these characters are going and how far out of their comfort zones they're going in order to do what they believe is right or something just utterly unpredictable. Because I feel like even the stuff with Carrie at the end of this episode, we knew where that was headed. I, I just felt like everything was a little too predictable here. And even when Saul got, went into Senator Lockhart's party and before he said, oh yeah, the president's making the announcement that I'm going to be running for the director of the CIA, we knew that this guy was already above Saul. So it's, it's feeling a little dry at this point. It feels a little bit too familiar for me. Well, the last thing I want to ask you is, what do you think the deal is with Javadi and that woman and her kid? Do you think he was just parked on the street, eating a burger, just some random street? Or do you think he knows that woman and the kid that he was watching? It was so bizarre to me, that scene, because I felt like that was one of the more tense scenes of the episode because I had no idea. We have no idea who this guy is. We have no idea who that uh, woman and her child are. We don't really know what we're watching. And then it just kind of ended and I was like, okay, what is that about? 
there's no context there whatsoever for me to make any sort of prediction as to what's going on. I don't know who these people are. So that kind of disappointed me a little bit because I just felt like that was just, once again, the show teasing us and building up to something and giving us no hint as to where it's going. I'm hoping they'll bring it back later. It seems to me like the the actor, Sean Tobe, he does a really good job of making it clear that Javadi really loves this burger <laughs> that he's eating. And then it makes the scene extra menacing that he slowly chews this bloody cheeseburger as he's watching a daughter play with her child, uh, her mother. Well, I was just thinking, okay, wait, does he not normally eat cheeseburgers? Is it because, I don't know, like, is it some religious thing where maybe in the Middle East you're not allowed to eat food like that? Is this a sign of American decadence? <laughs> well, there was that moment where he dripped ketchup or something onto his shirt, and that implied right. that things will get... That implied to me that something involving his relationship with those uh, the, with the mother and child is going to get sloppy or messy. But apart from that, I didn't really know what to walk away with that scene from because we just have no context for anything going on there. I mean, we don't really know who that guy is at all. We don't know anything about him. We don't know who he's watching. We don't know what the significance of a cheeseburger could metaphorically represent if we don't have any sort of background information as to what's going on here. So uh, again, that was a scene that I thought was intriguing because it was very menacing and then it didn't really add up to anything. Well, we know that that guy is Majid Javadi. We know that he's this big terrorist. We just don't know why he's watching these people and why he really seems to be enjoying this cheeseburger. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, it's a cheeseburger, Andrew. A lot of people, I, I enjoy every cheeseburger that I eat, even if it's from McDonald's or something. Like, I don't know. I felt like it was more of a, he was enjoying watching them and it affected his enjoyment of eating that cheeseburger. Here's my theory, Charlie. Again, I have no evidence for this, but here's my idea. What if it's going to turn out to be like Abu Nazir in that his wife and child were killed by a drone strike or some form of American retaliation, and that's part of what fuels him and his actions? I can see that. I'd prefer if it wasn't that, though, because I'd prefer if it was just a completely different take on why this... Uh, terrorist is seeking vengeance. You know, like, I don't want to have every terrorist in this show hate America because of a loss of a child. I hope it's something mm -hmm. a little more complex than that. And it worked really, really, really well in the first season, don't get me wrong. I just hope that they don't repeat that plot device again. Okay. I hope that didn't sound too, like, cynical and be like, your idea is total bullshit. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm not sure I would like it either if they repeated that. I'm just wondering if that's where it's going to go. I would like to see someone with a different, different perspective on the uh, corruption going on in America and why he hates that so much. I don't want to see every terrorist be the same terrorist that Abu Nazir was. Because not only do I think that would uh, lump racial stereotypes uh, into, like, uh, everyone hates America for this reason that is a superficial plot point from this show, as, as well as it worked in the first season, you can be even more ambitious and tackle something that has a bigger parallel to what's going on in reality, as you said with, you know, going to war with Iraq and possibly bombing Syria. Like, that's really ambitious for that show to draw a comparison to. I hope that the motivations for this villain are not just the same or ex or very similar to Abu Nazir's. I hope they give him something new to work with. I agree with you on the whole, 
But at the same time, I think it would be interesting if they, if the show kept hearing in that theme, that idea that U.S. actions are fueling terrorism overseas. I think that would be interesting because, again, it would tie into that whole theme of, oh, well, now Senator Lockhart wants to even increase that even further. Oh, sure. I just hope it's not for, like, the same reasons of he lost his wife or a child in a bombing. I hope it's something else that Senator Lockhart does. That's the reason why he wants to take him out, to prevent something from happening, as opposed to reacting to something that has happened that is the result of our horrible, impulsive actions to violently attack another country instead of negotiating something out. All right. Well, is there anything else you would like to say about the yoga play? I'm looking forward to seeing how Harry interacts with Giovanni. I'm looking forward to that confrontation because I was definitely irritated by the time the episode ended. And uh, before that, I was just kind of looking at my watch and waiting for the episode to be over. So as frustrated as I was by this episode, this show does know how to keep me hooked and it does know how to create an effective cliffhanger. I'll definitely be uh, anticipating next week's episode. I like this episode more than you did, though I'm starting to understand why people hate Dana Brody. (laughs) That was definitely the weakest part of this episode. But uh, that'll wrap it up for this episode of The Briefing Room. We'd love to get your feedback on the show. Don't forget, you can call us at 336-793-2509 or email us at briefingroom at filmgeekradio.com. You can also comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you think of this season of Homeland so far and whether or not you liked the developments in this episode. You can also subscribe to us through iTunes and Stitcher. So if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the program. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, The Thin Place, The Nerdy Projectors, and our new podcast all about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast. Charlie, where can people find you online? You can listen to me and Andrew discuss the eighth and final season of Dexter under the Avenging Angels section of FilmGeekRadio.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter at CTNash91. That's C-T-N-A-S-H-91. You can find some of my writing at MovieMezzanine.com and Pathios.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at WriterAndrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Charlie Nash. And I'm always alone. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!